At some point, we all face really confusing situations. And because of our experiences so far, we can't see what's really going on. Then all of a sudden, there is an encounter. Something crazy only God could explain. We have a light bulb moment, and we can finally see things clearly. These insights can significantly change our life direction. What if you could learn from somebody else's light bulb moment? My insight could be your insight. Significant life, God-inspired moments that can change a life. That's cool. All right. Well, tonight, uh, let's pray. And uh, has anyone done more than one light bulb? Because I've missed a few of them. I think I've heard someone's done two. I've got three. Three light bulbs, two hours each. So six hours, set your watches, and we'll be out of here to watch Wimbledon tonight by about midnight. All right? Cool. So let's pray. Father, uh, we just thank you that you are you're, uh, an amazing God. You are the overworked word um, you're an awesome God, and it hardly means anything to us um, these days because, you know, um, everything's awesome. But um, no other way to describe you. You're spectacular. Uh, Father, you fill the universe. Um, Lord, you, you can go from the smallest speck to the farthest supernova out there, whatever's out there. You fill this universe. This whole universe is in the palm of your hand. And yet you can fit into this building tonight. Um, and Father, you can fit into our hearts. And Lord, you care about what's going on in global politics. You care, uh, you know, you have kept a record of every single thing that's happened in history. But also, Lord, you know every single detail of our lives. And you have something for us tonight. Every one of us, you have a precious piece of, a precious seed uh, to be planted in our lives to make a difference for you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So uh, we're talking about significant, uh, significant life. We're talking about these light bulb moments. Um, and uh, I just want to say one thing about light bulb moments. So I've got three that I'm going to share, which have just, you know, they just stick with me. They're things that just keep coming back. Um, but just the topic of light bulb moments, I can remember other light bulb moments that I have. And I think the thing, um, I don't know if anyone else said this, but the thing with a light bulb moment, it's kind of an aha moment. So it's not necessarily a new thought. It's not necessarily it's a new thought, but some, it's something that you've already known, something that you've already heard, which all of a sudden makes sense. Um, like we just got a call from our daughter in New York today, and she's like, yeah, whatever, mom and dad, like 26 years, yeah, so you haven't done much for me. And all of a sudden, she's not really, she's an awesome girl, but she's had this epiphany. And she called Briar today, and she was just gushing with, man, you know, one of her friends is pregnant. And she's like, you know, I was in your tummy, and you carried me. And she had this light bulb moment. I thought it was cool. And now I can say, so send some money or something, like, you know. Um, but, like, and I had this one astounding light bulb moment. Who's ever seen a sunrise? You've seen a sunrise? No, nobody? Yeah, a few of you. Man, get up early. And, and, um. I, um, I can remember one morning, it was like one of those five o'clock in the mornings, getting the cows when I was first in New Zealand. And, and I looked across and the sun was rising and I've seen a lot of sunrises. And the sun was rising and all of a sudden, out of the blue, I was tired, I wasn't concentrating. I had this explosive light bulb moment that that, that burning orb is 93 million miles out in the sky, out past the sky, out in the universe. And 
Uh, and the, the farm I was on was like about 150 acres. And if there was the biggest bonfire possible at the far end of the farm, there's no way I would feel the heat. But this thing was 93 million miles away, and, and it's enough to burn you. And it was just this aha light bulb moment. And it's like I saw that sun for the first time. Amen? And so I'm praying tonight that some, these are some thoughts that hit me, that struck me throughout my Christian life, these three thoughts. Um, and they were things that I had already heard, and they were things that I knew in my head, but the, they became light bulb moments when I saw the absolute stupendousness of them. And they, once that light comes on, it changes your life. You might forget that light bulb moment. Like, I've seen the sun plenty of times, and I'm just like, yeah, there it is. But it doesn't take much to go, because I had it once, it doesn't take much to, go, to get back there. Like, all I have to do is stop for a second and go, it happens all the time. I go, that's right, man. I'm living on this little rock, and that thing's still out there. It's 93 million miles away, and it's burning and keeps me warm. And I'm right back there. So I'm hoping tonight, I'm praying tonight, that if the light comes on for you in, in, in anything I say, I hope it's God speaking to you, and it'll give you something that will never be taken away. Amen? Amen. Now, um, you know, Jesus spoke parables, and he, and he taught people in parables, and they were stories that people were familiar with, and then he made a spiritual point. Um, I think there are modern parables. I think Jesus would have used them if he was in our culture, and they are movies. And so I'm just going to uh, use a movie to start with tonight. Um, but what I want you to do is just have a bit of a chat. This is the interaction, excuse me, the interaction bet. And what I'd like you to do is, is just kind of what are your top ten Walt Disney movies, all right? Talk to someone that you don't know. I mean, you might not have 10. You might have two or three of your favorites. And then we're going to list the definitive list of the top 10 Disney movies, as has been selected by the interwebs, which is never wrong. And so, so just have a chat. you got two minutes. What are your favorite Walt Disney movies? Go. Go. Sorry, I blew it. I already blew it. Man, not just Walt Disney movies, but Walt Disney animated movies. Does that make a difference? Oh, get them off. Oh, sorry about that. Animated movies, all right? So start again. I'll give you a minute from now. Go. Animated. Daniel Boone. Was that with, I heard Daniel Boone. Was that with Fess Parker? Like, yeah, man. That's, I guess that's our era, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, okay, coming in. And so if this is you, if any of these movies were in your top 10, you're not allowed to lie because God knows. And, you know, as I say, he strikes you with lightning if you lie. And uh, especially in church, you know he doesn't. But uh, if any of these are used, just give me a yo or a ow or something. And I want to know that you had picked this movie coming in. At number 10 is Significant Life. Oh, this is probably, wait, Tangled. Yeah, who had that? That's number 10. Is this it that we're on here? Here we go. All right. Coming in at number nine. So, yeah, okay. How many, how many had Tangled on the list? Yeah, yeah. I like that movie. Hey. Uh, big. Oh, up. Yeah. All right. Yeah, give it a cheer. If, if the loudest cheer wins, all right. So, coming in at number nine. Uh, coming in, yeah. Coming in at number eight, Finding Nemo. Coming in at number seven, Big Hero 6. No, no. It was a cool movie. It was a cool movie. Uh, coming in at number whatever. Yeah, Littlest Mermaid. Hey. 
Okay, this, is, this will be a great one. Coming in at number, I've lost track, but it doesn't matter. Coming in next is Toy Story. Yeah. Coming in next is Beauty and the Beast. Ow! All right. We're building to number one. So start thinking, what's number one, all right? Uh, Beauty and the Beast. The next one is Old One, Fox and the Hound. Yeah. yeah. All right. Here's a biggie. It's an oldie. You know, it's funny, eh? The graphics, this is before they came out with the cool 3D graphics, but the stories are amazing and the voices are amazing. Aladdin. Yeah. And coming in at number one, and we're just going to watch the trailer. Let's watch this. Yeah, I think we can applaud those guys. Hey, I, I, creative people just blow me away. And um, yeah, so. Cool. So how many got that? How many had the Lion King as, as number one? If, if someone hadn't taken all the birthday chocolate, I'd be giving you guys chocolate. So no, no, but you're all right. Eh? You've got the honor of knowing that you guessed it. Um, hey, but let's, let's look at the story. Now, this isn't actually one of my light bulb moments. I did have a light bulb moment at this movie. Uh, just blew me away, and which will lead into um, uh, the, what I want to share tonight. But let's just think about... Uh, the, the, the script, let's think about the story. So Simba was the heir to a throne. So he was the, the young son to a king. Um, uh, Mufasa was the king, and he ruled this kingdom. Um, and he was led astray by his own desire. So Simba wasn't perfect, and he had that kind of little uh, mischievous side to his character, and he kind of wanted to push the limits, and, and Mufasa had to Tell him off. You remember the story, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not talking to strangers here. You kind of remember the movie. Um, and so he was led astray by his own mischievous desires. And then Scar, who was an enemy to Mufasa, uh, who actually wanted to be the king, who was the brother of Mufasa, well, he capitalized on Simba's um, wandering heart. And he led Simba to get into a... a into that area where he shouldn't have gone. By the way, you know, when they say everything that the light touches, you know, is, is yours. But there's one place where there's darkness. Have you seen that thing on YouTube where that's Tipoki? <laughs> or Mecca too? That hurt. <laughs> Except where there's darkness. Um, and, um, uh, so move, and, and, uh, and, and then, um, so he got into a situation where he was going to die and the wildebeests were coming um, the hyenas chased the wildebeest, and, and, and Scar had led him into that situation. Uh, and then Mufasa saw this, and Mufasa had to give his life to save Simba. And then Scar comes to Simba and makes him feel guilty for the death of Mufasa and says, you better run away and go out into the wilderness. So he takes the heir of this kingdom. He takes the rightful heir and sends him out into the wilderness where he would be lost forever, sends the hyenas out to kill him, which they fail to do, and then he meets those couple idiots and, and, uh, and comes back to realizing who he is, and he comes back to his rightful place, and he becomes, um, he becomes the heir, he becomes the king. Is that story familiar to anybody else? Does that story ring a bell to anybody? Yeah? Yeah? How many? How many kind of, doesn't that story sort of sound like another story that we talk about? at church. And uh, it, to me, it just amazes me. In fact, I've heard a creative guy say years ago that there are only six real stories, that every story is kind of based on six templates. But all the greatest stories are based 
around the gospel story, which is somebody giving his life for somebody else. Um, so I find that interesting. So tonight I just want to share um, uh, uh, three light bulb moments, and they will connect. Um, they will connect. So, um, and, and these will be three stories in my life. And, and these were times, uh, again, kind of like the sunrise, but these were three breakouts for me where things that I knew, things that I had learned became real to me. So light bulb moment number one is peace. And I was in Bible college. Um, I was about 20, 21 when I first um, heard the name of Jesus. I was in this little church in Canada. And, and within the first year, I was just absolute, totally committed. I, I, you know, there's a couple of people in the youth ministry, you know who you are, who remind me of myself. Uh, actually, there's heaps of them. And these, these guys come to God, and they just go nuts. And they throw themselves at God, and their lives just change 100, 180 degrees. And so did mine. And so, you know, there's things like I was going out on Friday nights, and, and I was, you know, getting up to a lot of trouble at my school. And, and when I became a Christian, just everything changed. My language changed. Um, you know, I wasn't drinking anymore. And I was in church like four or five days a week. Uh, and then I, I went to Bible college. And, 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 and I kind of felt really good about myself. I knew that Jesus had died for me. And I knew that my sins were forgiven. And, and my life had completely changed. And I was feeling really good about myself. And I was, getting, I was doing well in my studies. And I was meeting a whole new group of pe- people. I was driving all my old friends nuts because I kept telling them that they would go to hell and they had to become Christians. And I was, like, really passionate. Um, but it soon began to wear off. Not that I started slipping back. But I started... As I got to know God better, and just give me a quiet amen here if you remember something like this happening to you. As I got to know, get to know God better, and as I studied the word more, and especially in Bible college, I began realizing that I did not have it all together. And it's not just about swearing, and it's not just about drinking and, and you know, girls and whatever. Um, but God is requiring a holiness and a passion and a purity from us that, I knew wasn't a reality in my life, and I started to really struggle. I was in Bible college, um, and I kind of made this name for myself because I was this, most of the guys in college were kind of kids from Christian schools. It was Tyndale Bible College in Toronto, and the majority were Christian kids who were, you know, studying to be pastors, and I was this kind of out-of-the-box guy, and, um, and, and, and uh, so people knew me, and they kind of knew the things I was going through, and I started really struggling. And I started really doubting, and, and I, I couldn't sleep at night. I shared a room with a guy in the dormitories, John Cumming, and, um, and, and he, you know, he'd be asleep, and I'd be tossing and turning because I was so aware. I wanted to be a good Christian, and I knew that it wasn't just about swearing and drinking. It was about my thought life, and it was the fact that I started realizing, you know, that the ultimate was I was meant to love God, and I started realizing, and maybe some of you can relate, relate to this, I started realizing that um, I really didn't love God the way I knew he wanted me to love him. I started realizing that a lot of what I did, even though it was Christian, and uh, I had the opportunities to, to share at camps and things, and, I, and I, I had early opportunities to work in a youth ministry. Um, but I realized I was really getting a lot of kudos from that, and I was getting a lot of selfish payback from that stuff. And, um, and then a couple of moments when my love for God was tested, um, you know, where things didn't go my way. God was still there, but things didn't go my way. I found myself angry, and I found myself kind of getting depressed and going into the doldrums and kind of getting angry at God. Can anybody relate? 
Can anybody relate to this stuff? And I was going crazy. I was kind of going crazy. And I was tossing and turning. I wasn't getting sleep. Um, and I was crying out to God. I was getting angry, you know, God, because I didn't feel worthy. Even though I knew that Jesus had died for my sin, I just didn't feel worthy. And then this was the amazing coincidence. Um, I did a paper on St. Augustine. He lived from, he was born in 354 AD. Uh, he's one of, the, uh, one of the people who's had the greatest impact on the Western church, uh, going right back to just three centuries after Jesus. Um, and his story is he stole fruit as he was a kid. Um, and, and he realized, and he wrote this book, The Confessions. Who's heard of The Confessions of St. Augustine? Hands up. Yeah, amazing, amazing book. And uh, it's really well worth the read if, you can, if you're into that kind of stuff. Uh, he also wrote The City of God, another powerful book. Um, and, um, and, and he stole fruit as a kid. Um, and, he, and he was honest enough to say, you know, I really enjoyed breaking the law. He enjoyed it. Um, and he is now, like he is just a saint. He's recognized as a saint in the Eastern Church and the Roman Catholic Church and amongst Prote uh, Protestants. But his life story was such a mess. He moved to Carthage, which uh, in northern Africa. Um, he, lived, he lived a hedonistic lifestyle. Um, he boasted of his sexual exploits. At 19, he began a 15-year affair, and he fathered a child with a woman. Um, and in 385, he entered um, this relationship. His mother uh, wanted him to marry someone that was of his his status in the society and the girl that he was with for 15 years was below his status. And so Augustine broke it off with her, and he, um, uh, he went into a contract to marry a girl who was 10 at the time, and they would be married by the time they were 12, which was okay in those days. Um, and she was an heiress, and so he was heading in that path, and then God got a hold of him, and he went into the celibate priesthood. So what a story. And I, was, I did a paper on this guy, and here I was, living, struggling with my life, and I was reading this guy's life, and, uh, and then one day, so, and, and he was actually training to be a priest, but he still didn't know Jesus, and, and, and one day, um, he hears a voice, a child's voice, he's out in a garden, and he hears a voice, and it's all in the confessions, it's like his life story, and he hears a voice, and, and this child's voice say, take up and read, and, he, and he, he felt it was, he had a Bible with him, and he picked it up, and he opened it to the book of Romans. And he read from Romans 5 and from Romans 13. Now, just the day before, I had opened up my Bible, and I had read from Romans 5. So, man, I was paying attention to this saint. And this is some of the stuff. This is one of his great quotes. He says, every day, my conscience makes confession relying on the hope of your mercy. Get your head around this. My, uh, every day my conscience makes confession, relying on the hope of your mercy as more to be trusted than its own innocence. So in other words, he came to realize that he's never innocent, and he has to trust fully in the mercy of God. And he also said this, for instantly, this is like, this is like 1,600 years ago, for instantly... Um, uh, and, and this is when he started reading in the book of Romans. Instantly, as the sentence ended, there was infused in my heart, and this is a light bulb moment, there was infused in my heart something like the light of full certainty, and all the gloom of doubt vanished away. It was two in the afternoon. I was in my room by myself. I was skipping classes because I was ready to quit. I was going crazy and because I so wanted to be a follower of God. 
And yet I felt that God couldn't love me because I wasn't good enough. And I was in my room. It was, it was getting towards the summer in Toronto, and it, we were coming up to the summer break. And I was in there by myself. It was stinking hot, and I was kind of rolling. And I just read this quote, and I opened my Bible to Romans 5.1, and this is what it says. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Therefore, since we, ha- we have been justified, now, you know, the, many of you will know the, the, the technical term for justified is just as if I've never sinned. That's kind of a little catchphrase. So uh, the Bible says that God justifies us when we put our faith in the cross. And having been justified, so just as if I've never sinned, that's how God sees you and I. Um, by, through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that day, that day, I just had this epiphany that it wasn't up to, I was never going to be good enough. And I was just aware that I would always have this mess going on. Hopefully, it would kind of get a little bit better as the years went by. And I realized when I studied theology, yep, yep, that's what's meant to happen. But it never goes away. But Jesus sees me as absolutely perfect because of his mercy, because of his sacrifice. Romans 5.1. And the word peace um, in the Old Testament, 237 times, shalom. And, and the meaning behind the word, it is a rich, rich, deep word that means so many things. But in Job 5.24, it means safe and secure. And, and they talk about being safe in his tent. It means tranquility, friendship, and covenant. And in the New Testament, it's a rena. And uh, uh, it's used 94 times in the New Testament. We get, you know, Irene, the name, and I think Ireland has this in its name. Um, and, it's, and this is the interesting thing. And, and, and as I was realizing, as, I, as that light bulb came on, and I realized that I had peace with God, and as I looked into that word in my room that afternoon, and I found out this, it means to be joined. So peace doesn't just mean quiet. Peace doesn't just mean a tranquil river. It doesn't just mean the absence of chaos. The the actual meaning of that Greek word is to be joined, to become one, to find tranquility and rest, but it's set at one again. So that word peace actually means to become unified um, with God in this instance. And it's used in Ephesians 2.14, for he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace, who who has made the two one. And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of, of hostility. And I was 20-something years old, and the light bulb went on that regardless of the, the mistakes I make, uh, regardless of, of, my, of, of my lack of love, and, and I came to a realization I will never love God completely selfishly. And I was aiming for that. And I was basing my justification, I was basing my good feeling at being a Christian on me stopping swearing you know, me stopping drinking, and then and me loving God. I knew that I had to be a lover of God. When I realized I couldn't do that, uh, uh, it just destroyed me. And then the light came on that this is the whole point of the gospel, that Jesus had to die for my sinful nature, that he will be improving me throughout my life, uh, and I'll never get there. Just ask you to close your eyes for a second. There's two more to go, but just close your eyes because I am convinced that there's got to be somebody else in here who is going through this. We're trying so hard 
to be good Christians. We're trying to grow. And the penny has just not dropped that Jesus loves you on your holiest day, and he loves you equally on your most sinful day. So, Father, I just pray that right now the light might come on for somebody. Okay, cool. Uh, light bulb number two. Um, and I love this story. I've, I've, you've probably heard it before. I've, I've, I think I've shared it at youth, and I've shared it uh, up, up the front here, but it's worth telling. I, this is one of my favorite stories. Um, so not only do we have peace, uh, but this was another massive light bulb. And, and this, this one is the harder one for, for us here because this is the one that we hear every day. And it's like looking at that sunrise. You can just take it for granted and not really get in the depths of your heart what this word really means. And it is the fact that we are loved. And uh, I was working on a farm. And, yeah, I can't believe that the farmer took a photo of this. And, um, and I was new in New Zealand. I was, it's, this is out at Makatu. And, and, um, um, and all, now I had a great family. Like we were, I wasn't brought up as a believer. But, and my mom and dad were beautiful immigrants. They were Italian immigrants. And we had a pretty cool family. We had a lot of fun. But my parents weren't the best at complimenting the kids. Uh, and, 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 the, and then, you know, I would say as I got older, I'd say, yeah, Dad, why don't you ever tell me, um, you know, why don't you ever tell me that I've done something well? Because he's not the European way. You know, we don't, we're not Americans. We're not English, right? Like, we have to keep you under the thumb, you know, and that's going to make you strong, right? And, like, my brother was a really good tennis player. So who's heard of Bjorn Borg, right? Bjorn Borg, great tennis player from the past. My brother was a really good tennis player. And, uh, and he was in a tournament, and my dad, you know, said, okay, I will go and watch. And he, and he goes down to the tennis club, and he wins this amazing match. He just blows this guy away. And we're all in the car on the way home, and, and, <laughs> and my brother goes, hey, Dad, what do you think? How did I do? He's, you're, you're not Bjorn Borg, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know? And so I had a bit of that hanging over me. And, and I, I'm new in this country. I'm, I'm in my first year of marriage, you know, and... I'm kind of a chubby, you know, white Canadian guy who loves the snow. I'm living on the beach, and I'm really insecure about Briar and all her friends, surfers that are all tanned and fit. And so I'm kind of insecure there. I'm insecure as a new husband. And then I'm working on a farm. Now, the only other experience I had on a farm was when Briar and I were traveling across Canada on bikes. And I went out in the morning just to watch the sunrise, and I was attacked by a herd of chickens. And I went running back to the tent, screaming my head off, you know, go, Briar, 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 quick, quick, oh, these mad chickens, man, they're going to eat me. Not realizing, you know, chickens just look for food. I didn't know that. And so here I was working on a little dairy farm out at Makatu. And it was in the morning. It was like 5 in the morning. And, um, and the boss just says, uh, you know, get the cows into the yard. It was just a real old school yards. Get the cows in, and, and we'll start milking. It's like my third day. And I didn't shut the gate properly. And all the cows, I, we got them in, and the cows just bailed. They're back out in the paddock. And the farmer's just going nuts. He's going, oh, you're useless, you know, you, you, you know, and, and I was, I was, I mean, I didn't know the first thing about anything, and he was just going, you're useless, you can't do anything right, he's, yeah, get, get out there, and he, and no, he didn't have a dog, so he had to send me, you know, just get, get way, you know, go way out, go way back, <laughs> and he's yelling at me, yeah, useless Canadian, you can't do anything right, now, at the time, I was starting to memorize scripture, I wanted to memorize scripture, so I was miles away from working with young people, but I thought, man, I want to memorize the word. And I was memorizing Romans 8, um, 28 through to the end of the chapter. Um, and uh, who can separate us from the love of God and shall trouble or hardship or famine or nakedness? In all these things, we are more than conquerors. I was memorizing that. And I was getting yelled at. And uh, it, to me, this is another light bulb moment. And it's like a miracle that changed my life. And I was jumping over eight-foot um, rails. 
and getting told I was useless. And, just, and I was just leaping over the rails. And as I was halfway across, time stopped. Everything just went slow. And I could hear the boss calling me useless. And it was like a flash of lightning at night when, you know, you first instant, you can see everything. And in that instant, I, I heard him call me useless. And at the same time, like Briar tells me that I hum tone, tunelessly all day long, right? <laughs> Shut up. And, uh, and I was doing that with Scripture. The Scripture was just kind of rolling around in here somewhere. Just, you know, like if God is for us, who can be against us? That was just going on like a bit of a program under here. And if, if, you, if, if I can leave you with anything tonight, young people, um, older people, memorize the Word of God. It's a lost art. The Word of God is, is powerful and, and uh, it's living. It's active. It's sharper than a sword and it helps sort out your motivation. It, it shines light into your motivation and it changes you. It can, it can make you Christ-like. Nothing as powerful as the Word of God. It's a lost art. Um, and, and so this was just rumbling around in here. You know, if God is for us, who can be against us? And in that lightning moment, halfway over the fence, uh, I, I, I heard the word, you know, you're useless. And I saw myself believing it. it, it and it's really a miracle. Time stopped. A whole lot of things went on, kind of like the Matrix, you know, when Neo just stops everything and he's moving twice as fast. And it was a real experience. And, and, and I saw myself, yeah, I am useless. And, of course, I had those years of my dad telling me, I'm, you know, me and my brothers were not like Bjorn Borg. And, and, uh, and you know, and, and um, I mean, people generally, generally most of us hear negative things, and we take on negative things. And, and, uh, and I just caught myself, yeah, I'm useless. And, oh, man, I'm so dumb. Why did I do that? And, and I saw myself, and I realized that much of the time in my life, this kind of was a light shining into the basement of my life. And I saw that, yep, I'm not very good. I, I, you know, I'm not really good with God. I'm not a good enough Christian. I'm useless at this farming deal. And, uh, and I'm kind of useless. I don't, there's a lot of things I can't do. And then the third thing that happened in that, in that flash, that lightning flash moment was I heard God's word saying, if, uh, if I am for you, who can be against you? And in that moment, just like Augustine, and a light bulb moment, I knew God was for me. I knew it. It became real to me. And if you, know, if you go through that passage, um, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Trouble or hardship or famine or nakedness. Uh, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. And I am for you. And nothing can ever be against you. And in that moment, it became real for me. And I landed on the other side of that fence, and I was a different human being. Changed my life. Now, you know, I still fight that fight. And, um, but same as that sunset, I'll take the sunset for, or the sunrise for granted once in a while. But I can go instantly back to that moment where I realized how incredible it is that we're on a rock circling this burning thing out in space. And I might kind of lose touch with the fact that God just thinks I'm the greatest. And, uh, but it doesn't take much just to quiet my heart and to realize that because I had that experience, that light bulb moment. And, and, and this is a very difficult one because this is something that we hear in church all the time. What then shall we say in response to this? This is that Romans 8.28 passage. If God is for us, who can be against us? This is true of you tonight. And I just, again, wonder there's got to be some people here who don't really believe in your basement. 
that you don't really, really accept that you are the apple of God's eye. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Because of the cross, not because we're good enough. And who will, listen, this is the one, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Nothing. I could fail as a husband. I can fail as a father. I could fail as a pastor. But God's still going to love me. You know, and we have these tapes that play in our head. And, and there is a war going on in our head between our ideas and what we're told. And we had some really cool conversations on our trip down to um, Wellington. Um, and, and this was Mel, actually, who was talking about that the brain, the way we're wired, is that uh, when, when it comes to compliments, our brain is like Teflon, and they slide off. But when it comes to dissing and when it comes to negative things, our brain is like Velcro, and we hang on to that stuff. Don't know why. And the only thing that can change the pathways of your mind is do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. And part of the pattern of this, of this world is, is the enemy trying to tell you that you're not good enough and that you're useless and that you're powerless and, and that God doesn't really love you. But do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the Greek word, we all know this is agape, 116 times in the New Testament. But the cool thing about agape, and we confuse, we've got the one word love, and brotherly love, and romantic love, and family love. Um, you know, we just, we just put it all in one basket, and God's love for us. And when we don't differentiate, when we don't look at the distinction between the four different Greek words, we fail to see that God's love is completely different from any other love, because it's a willful delight in the object of that love. It's a willful delight. Just close your eyes again. And, um, and I'm sure that we're all good here. You know, we're all cool. But I know, I know, as I know, as I know, that some of you are struggling, and you might not even know it. And you just you need that lightning strike in your basement to make you realize that you don't think you're very good, that you don't think you're much chop, that you don't think that you're worthy of God's love, and you are a bit useless and you deserve the put-downs, and you deserve the mocking, and you, because you know that you're not good enough. But again, just keep your eyes closed. But listen, um, that this love that God has for you, and he's the only one that matters. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of you. God's the one that matters. And it says that it's a willful delight. He chooses to delight in you, the object of his love. And these are two of my favorite verses, uh, Zechariah 2.8, that you are the apple of his eye, the most precious thing to God. And Zephaniah 3.17, I love this, God rejoices over you with singing. And I think of when my kids were in the cot, and I, every time I think of that verse, you can open your eyes in case they're still closed. But uh, uh, whenever, I, whenever I come across that verse, that God rejoices. You, you, whoever, you, you don't think about God singing much, do you? The angels sing, and we sing, and we praise God. And, and, and what does God sing about? And I can, every time I, I read that verse or think about that verse, I think about when I used to look down at Bresha and Isaac and Josiah and Sienna when they were one and two before they became really horrible. And, uh, and No, just kidding. And, 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 and I can remember looking at my children and just loving them with an absolute, passionate, free, choice love. I just love them. And, I, and there's a song in my heart, thank you, God, that I've had these four beautiful children. That's the way God feels about you tonight. 
That was light bulb number two. And light bulb number three is this, I just use this word fearless. And I've had this really cool privilege of knowing these guys personally. Uh, the Shearing Bowens. Who's heard of, of Godfrey and uh, Ivan Bowen? So I, we looked after their grandson for a few years. And it was just such a privilege. We got to know the family. And I had some of the most precious moments of my light, uh, life. Uh, because this guy is, is New Zealand farming royalty, Ivan Bowen. And uh, being in a little batch after his wife had passed away, it's pouring with rain. And he's telling us stories, Levi, his grandson, and myself, telling us stories about the early days in New Zealand. He's responsible for the, the, the way they shear sheep all over the world comes from these two guys, the, the Bowen brothers. Uh, you know, they, they founded the Agrodome over there in Rotorua. And, and the fact that they shear sheep twice um, uh, in a season, uh, before his time, they only sheared sheep once because, of course, you wouldn't shear a sheep going into the winter. But Ivan Bowen had this idea, and he was a godly man, and God would give him ideas. And he said to the guy, he was just 17, 18 years old, and, um, and, and he just said to his boss, hey, take a risk on me because I'm, I want to shear the sheep before the winter, and I think we'll get twice as much wool, and the sheep will be health, healthier. And everybody just thought he was nuts, but his boss took a risk. And, uh, and Ivan sheared the sheep, and his flock of sheep just produced more. And now it's the way they shear sheep, um, the way they farm sheep all over New Zealand, and I think all over the world. These guys were legends. And, um, and this was passed on to their son, Grant. Um, and I heard this from Grant, but it's Ivan's philosophy. Mo here's my third light bulb. Most of us, and I heard this at a funeral. And Grant said, most of us will spend most of our lives trying to please people who will hardly give us a second thought after we're dead. Most of us spend most of our lives, and, I, and, and, and this is speaking, I want to speak to young people here. Peer pressure is one of the greatest motivating factors in your life. And, uh, you know, because we care so much about what our friends think about us. But then, you know, uh, young people... Uh, I mean, as we get older into our 40s and 50s, some of us are still trying to please a father or a mother who have died long before, but we're still trying to get their approval in our heads. And we try to please our neighbors, and we're afraid to say what we really think. And we live kind of in, we live in chains because of other people's approval, because we're afraid of what people will think about us. Most people will spend most of their lives trying to please people who will hardly give us a second thought after we're dead. And that is true. I've had a lot of my friends pass away, and I love them. But, you know, once they're gone, you move on. And if some person had lived his life for me, what a shame, what a waste, because I don't really care. And I realized that about me, that, you know, like, it's, it's, it, it can be a challenging thing to get up and talk to a group of people. What if you think I'm an idiot? What if you don't like me? But, you know what, it doesn't matter. And again, closing your eyes, you know, how many of us are in bondage to what other people are saying about us? How many of us have deep wounds in our spirit because you're not accepted by another human being? Somebody who's, who's judging you, someone who, is, who uh, is holding you guilty about something. And how many of us are crippled? And I just want to share a verse. The fear of man will prove to be a snare. And what's a snare? It's a trap. The fear of man, caring what people think about you, being afraid of other people's opinion. And when Grant said that that day, I was just sitting in Topuki Baptist Church, and he was up at the front, and he made that comment, and a light bulb went on, and I said, oh, I'm going to try. I'm going to strive to do what I want, serving God, to be who I am, and if people don't like it, it doesn't really matter. 
I'll try to be sensitive. I'll try to care for other people's feelings. But ultimately, I will not live my life for others. I will live my life for God. Amen? Amen. The fear of man will prove to be a snare. So you can live life free. You have the potential tonight to, to live life, um, you know, with a chain broken off your feet, just to be having fun, think your own thoughts, be creative, be unique, be the person that God made you to be, the man that God wants you to be, the woman that God wants you to be. Um, you're absolutely unique, like, like a snowflake, like a, like a thumbprint. But most of us just live these, these lives that are tied up and, and filled with fear and we're chained. And, and the kingdom of God and the world loses creativity and loses creative thinking and loses unique ideas because we're afraid to say things because of what other people will think. And the church of God, um, you know, the, the church of God suffers loss because the saints of God aren't willing to just be open and honest about what they think. Amen? Amen. So back to Simba. You know, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Uh, I think they're on their way. Um, and we're through. And what we're going to do, I think they're going to play a, a song quietly. And, you know, I know that, that I'm speaking to people. I know that God is speaking to people here. Um, I mean, because these things are so basic. Uh, it's not because they're cool ideas. It's not because they're unique ideas. It's because they're so human. They're so basic. I know that most of us, many of us, are dealing with these things, and they were so much a part of my life. I'm not saying that I'm free of these things, but I've seen the light. I've seen the light, and I fight against these things, and I, I constantly have to bring myself back to the point, God loves me. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what other people think, and it just helps me to live a free life. Never perfect, but just getting better. If that's you tonight, while these guys play, um, there's people who will pray for you, and, and this doesn't mean you're a dirty, rotten sinner. Um, man, Freely avail yourself of prayer. If God has stirred something up in you and, and, and you just really want this light bulb moment, you want to see it clearly, You've been, you, you know it in your head, but you were just, you're crying out, Holy Spirit, make this real in here. Come forward and, uh, and just let us pray with you, okay? Um, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And you know, Simba, Going back to The Lion King, and again, I'm astounded at how that movie, there's just so much kind of prophetic, there's just so much biblical truth in that movie and in many other movies. I think they're the parables of our day. We could speak to young people. We could speak to the next generation if we just pick the themes out of these movies because everybody knows them. Everybody kind of loves them. Everyone's hearts are open to these movies. And here was Simba, who was the heir of a kingdom. He was the heir. He was the rightful heir to the throne. And his father, Mufasa, loved him. And he loved him so much that he gave his life for him. And yeah, it was his fault. It was Simba's fault. And the enemy put that lie in his head that it is your fault and Mufasa will hold you guilty. That you have estranged yourself. You have separated yourself from your father. And if he was alive, he would hate you. And you deserve to be punished. That's a familiar sort of storyline, isn't it? And, and Simba had to go out into the wilderness, and, and he lost his inheritance. Simba lost everything because he didn't know who he was, and he believed the lie. And then, you know, through the course of that movie, 
and speak, people, someone speaking truth to him, Simba realized who he was. He realized his true identity. He realized he still had his father's love. And he came back and he kicked Scar's butt. And he got back his inheritance. And I just wonder if there's somebody here today that you are living beneath your inheritance. I wonder if there might be many of us that you are living beneath your inheritance. That you don't have peace with God because of your, the failures in your secret life. But that peace with God, that has been bought for you. It's yours. It's in your bank account. And if you're not experiencing that peace, it's not because you're not good enough. It's because you've believed the lie. And there's some of you here who you just can't believe that God loves you because you're just not as good as that guy or that guy. And you know yourself better than anybody. God cannot really love you. That's a lie too. And part of your inheritance is knowing that God loves you in spite of yourself. And finally, it does not matter what people think of you. And some of you are enslaved to, you know, fear of being laughed at, fear of being rejected. And that's a lie too. And it's robbing you of your rightful place of being a son and a daughter of God. Knowing that, you're, that you have peace. Knowing that you're one with God legally and in his heart. Knowing that he loves you. He sings over you at night. And knowing that it does not matter. The words that have been spoken over you and even your own words that you speak to yourself are not true. They're lies. Because the truth about you is that you are amazing. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Father, we just pray in Jesus' name that as we, as we worship you, and, uh, and Lord, this is all about just people having a breakthrough tonight, a, a light bulb moment that they will be telling future generations about this night when I saw it for the first time. And, and, and pray with me, guys, if you're okay. But there might be someone beside you who's not okay. Father, we, in the name of Jesus, pray for light bulb moments right now. Uh, as St. Augustine realized that you loved him, as I realized that you loved me, and Father, I just pray that people will be set free tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.